Nighttime on Still Waters. This is NB506812, narrow casting into the night from somewhere on Britain's waterways. Twenty-fifth of March, Friday. The fresh sun glances off the surface of the canal with a shimmering silver warmth that sets the nighttime chill a dance. A clutch of moorhens squabble, fluster, scold, and cord in plain view, transforming the dark waters into a crystal maelstrom, and it's so unlike their normal timorous behaviour. A mallard pair doze in the sunshine on the bank. I stand on the stern deck and beat the dust of winter from our rugs. We have stepped into spring. Today's been a gloriously warm, hot even, spring day. But now the darkness has fallen. And there's a sharp northeasterly wind that is ruffling the waters and rustling through the reeds. There's no moon, but the stars are filling the sky. And over to the east, the night feels a little darker. It's starless and heavy. Cloud and perhaps a touch of fog are on the way. And this is the narrowboat Erica, full of warmth and welcome. Signing in for the night, canal side. So nice to have you aboard. Welcome. This week has been marked by the most gorgeous spring weather. Crisp, starry nights, days of sunshine and warmth. And today I actually considered thinking about bringing out one of the fans to keep the boat a bit cooler. However, as soon as the sun drops, so do the temperatures. And we don't have a fire on tonight, but I have noticed that a number of nearby boats do, and I'm probably going to consider relighting the saloon stove tomorrow, certainly for the night. And with the sunshine, the march of spring is becoming unmistakable. Coltsfoot, glowing like dandelions, are springing up on the bank just above the waterline. I found some archangel this morning. I know archangel is a common local name for a number of different plants, but I've always learnt to associate that name with the white dead nettle. And I like the name. Despite possibly because it's so often overlooked and even at times vilified. It's one of my most favourite plants. Archangel is a suitably transcendent name for such an elegantly beautiful and often despised plant. And there they were, their graceful white flowers unfurling from spearmint green stems and leaves, delicately frosting a boggy culvert in the bank. The black fawn is still 
sparse close by, but walk a little further down the towpath and vaporous clouds of newly sprung petals uncurling from tight white globes. Along the roadsides it's been out for some time, but here things take a little longer. And it's just in time for Blackthorn winter. As regular as the dire prognostications from tabloids and news feeds warning of snow and sleet to come. It's one of Buchan's mythical cold spells, but this one has a long history to it. Blackthorn winter is traditionally associated with the second week of April, although there is another one in May, St. Servatius's Day, which is renowned especially on the continent for bringing in sweeping cold and frosts. But come what may, no matter what happens, the isophenes of spring are running, washing in waves of colour and new life northwards at the speed of three miles per hour. And spring has sprung, and if, as it is around here, taking a little more time to come, not to worry. A tidal flow of warmth and light and colour is pooling and filling those last outliers of winter. It's always really lovely hearing from you and I really do appreciate you taking the time and the contact details are in the program notes below. You can do it via social media on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook or through the Nighttime on Stillwater's website page which is noswpod.com and you can fill out the form there or leave a voicemail or simply get in touch at nighttimeonstillwaters at gmail.com. Orange Cookie over on Instagram contacted me about last week's episode where I was really talking about walking and stopping and wrote that after years of rapid city walking and constantly adjusting to others, it's nice to be able to take a silent, slow walk again and discover the slightly hidden treasures that live under branches and brambles. I couldn't agree more with you there. And on the same theme, Tony got in contact with me and talked about the joys of lone walking when you can just stop and take your time over things and dictate your own pace. And he also notes how we all have this tendency of encountering things differently. Humans, he writes, rarely, if ever, quite manage to see beauty in quite the same way at any particular time. And again, I totally agree. And I'm sure that if I was on my walk and I spotted that clump of archangel in that rather muddy and dank culvert on the bankside, they perhaps might not see the beauty in quite the same way as I do, nor see the significance of it that, that I felt. It was also really lovely to meet up this week with David Johns from Cruising the Cut, whom many of you will probably know through his vlogs. And it was lovely to see, or get to see, behind the scenes of making one of those vlogs. 
And gosh, it's a lot of hard work. And my admiration for all you vloggers who consistently publish them has increased immeasurably since then. And also confirmed my decision on so many levels that I was absolutely right in sticking with podcasts. How do you do it? But anyway, I, I am grateful to you. And I also, also can categorically state that David is just as nice off camera as he is on it. And he is extremely long suffering, patient and polite. <laughs> and Penny loves him too. We are slowly coming to the end of a very busy couple of weeks. It's just been one of those times when everything seems to conspire together and demand your attention and response all at once. But the weather's been beautiful this week. Sunny, warm t-shirt type days and crisp nights that shower brittle starlight upon the waters. And it feels as if the land around me is waking up. Still a little drowsy after a long, long sleep. But everything, that is, except me. Two weeks of constantly chasing time, writing lists, catching things I've missed, has served to create a feeling in me of being set apart from the waking landscape, reinforcing all of those old feelings of detachment and dislocation as if I were the one marching in a band out of step. The late party-goer who turns up at the black-tie event in fancy dress, having misread the invitation. And this feeling is a bit strange, as spring is a frenetic time of activity. Nest-building, bonding, pairing, suitors and rivals to be chosen or challenged, Nesting locations identified, perhaps reclaimed, fought over. Mating, egg-laying, nest-sitting. Cubs being born and hungry mouths being fed. Leaves and blossoms budding and blooming. And so it goes on and on and on. And the skies are filled with clamour. Starlings and rooks dousing the air with large twigs in their beaks. Duck duels. Buzzards and kites contested and chased. But look around you. It doesn't look or feel frenetic. Driven. No matter how powerful the impulses to nest and raise young may be that course through their veins of all these living things. And I have heard reports that our local swamp pair have made some forays into nest building and the female pen is certainly ready to soon be laying eggs. But looking at them, there is none of that fidgety, restless urgency that seems to shadow my every move. The impulse to nest and brood must be there. It was strong enough to break their ties with Cyril and to guard their territory from him or any other swans that may be approaching. But look at them, slowly drifting on the water, 
the slow, alternate, web-footed paddle that produces that serene, unhurried glide, or curled up in the dreaming afternoon sun, waddling up the grassy bank to the long grasses, a cursory forage, a cursory preen, settling down to doze and watch the world. Oh, I know each task there is important and meets a required outcome and fills a specific need, but there's no rush to it, just an easy, unhurried flow. They must feel the need to build a nest. But there they lie, in the rich new growth of grass, dozing in the sunshine. And the ducks too. And although again sometimes suddenly overtaken by a flurry of activity and energy, a duck quack, she launches almost vertically into the air, a drake follows almost immediately, casting pearls of light tumbling back down into the water, and then followed by the mate bulleting into the sky with a crack of wing beats to attempt to head the rival off. And then soon the successful pair glide down, land, a ruffle of wings and feathers, a quick wag of the tail, a quack from the female. And even before the waters return to their former stillness, they too have returned to the peace of the day. The sun is warm, the air is soft. Nests can clearly wait. Lambs graze beside a ewe who is fast asleep, or seems to be. The glint of light from the blackness of an open eye suggests that she has seen me, but she does not move, not even to raise her head. And all the while, a rabbit, slowly chewing, has not moved an inch. I said earlier that I felt out of step, because that is exactly what I am. I seem to be the only one in this sunny corner who seems to have a racing mind that can no longer hold all the lists I have made and will not shut off, that feels even now that fidgety restlessness of needing to be active, the rising heartbeat the grip in the pit of the stomach, the shallowing of the breaths that I take. And I am conscious, in the background, the hungry growl of speeding traffic suggests that I am not as alone in all of this as I might have first thought. At what time and for what reason did we as humans choose to live by such a different set of rules? Seeing the swans and the ducks, and the motionless form of the rabbit, each with their own itineraries, their own necessary things that need to be done, but unhurriedly going about their lives. It strikes me that it's not surprising that we do so badly in coping with the stresses of busyness, because it is, in every sense of the word, unnatural. 
we, I, really are living out of step. The fast pace of our lives have turned us into aliens in our own home, and we have outpaced our stories and our gods. The Japanese theologian Kasuke Koyama talks about the three-mile-an-hour God, the God who lives and works at three miles an hour, the speed at which humans walk. And we have left Koyama's God behind long ago, a God who, perhaps, just now walks with the swans, the grazing rabbit sitting there, still among the long grasses on the hill, lost in some unknown-to-me world. And where pottages are concerned, Esau seems to have had the better deal out of Jacob's stew, after all. I was reading the other day about the explorer and ethnologist Knut Rasmussen, who at the turn of the 20th century was talking with shamans of the people of Greenland and asked them if they had any conception of the divine. And their reply was ambiguous. But the closest, perhaps, to the Western idea of God, they said, is Scylla, the generative life-giving force of all life and being of the earth. Scylla is both imminent and distant. And Scylla can be manifested and heard in the violent storms and events of life. But they also noted, the voice of Scylla is gentle, like a woman. A voice so fine and gentle that even children cannot become afraid. And what it says is this, be not afraid of the universe. A people who lived in one of the harshest and most inhospitable landscapes on earth understand the earth not as a hostile enemy to be conquered in order to survive, but rather as a life-sustaining, nurturing mother looking after her own. And in her book Surfacing, the writer and poet Kathleen Jamie reflects on her time spent with the Kinahawk people of Alaska. She noted a phrase that was repeated time and time again. In the face of modern technologies which were becoming deeply embedded within their lifestyles, they would also say, you've got to remember how to live. Rasmussen's Inuits of Greenland, in their tents and ice homes, beaten by polar winds and the long Arctic nights, remembered how to live. The two swans, the ducks, the rabbit in springtime sunshine have never forgotten how to live, or their home within the landscape. And they seem to be saying to me, careful. You're out of step. You're forgetting how to live. And you're losing your sense of home 
and the roads and the skies above me are filled with such noise. And this disconnection with the realities of earth and of life is not simply technological, physical. It's existential. The price for the pottage is way too high, and not for the reasons Jacob or later homilists thought. In trading a bowl of soup for a pocket full of birthrights that would lift him away from the bedrock of his existence, Jacob thought he had won, but now it looks not so clear. The water, disturbed by the landing of the ducks, will always return to its glassy stillness, and that stillness returns each night. As the heat of the day begins to decrease, a calm begins to settle, like those turbulent waters left by those ducks landing. And I can almost feel a visceral need to shake off the stress, that shake I see in birds and animals over and over again, an action that is so much more than merely symbolic, a physical shaking off of the excess adrenaline. The sun lowers, and darkness begins to pool. A little further off, I can hear the voices of some boaters sitting out in the cooling evening air. The clink of a bottle. Laughter. Voices. Human sounds subdued to a rhythmic murmur. As indecipherable and yet as intelligible as the chuckling noises of the ducks on the other side of me. I don't need to hear the words to understand the deeper meaning of all this. And perhaps, perhaps, somewhere there is another sound. Riding on the cool zephyrs of the evening air, scented with the garden's flowers. And Kayama's three-mile-an-hour god is walking coming to talk with a misplaced Adam and his soulmate. And Scylla, whispering on the polar wind, Hush, go to sleep. Do not be afraid of this universe. If that is the case, and I do hope it is, Perhaps then the theatrical scenery that is the stage and backdrop to the play of our driven rush that is our lives will gradually begin to fill out, become richer, more solid, more sustaining, more enveloping, and we will then find that we are once more home. And wherever you are tonight, may it be your home. This is the Narrowboat 506812, signing off for the night and wishing you a very restful, peaceful, warm 
night. Good night. Sleep well. And the universe is nothing to be afraid of. Good night. Temperature outside 9.8 degrees, inside 22 degrees, humidity 67%, dew point 6 degrees, wind direction east northeast. Wind strength, 9 miles per hour. Barometric pressure, 1033.5, rising. Cloud cover, 10%. Cloud ceiling, none. Precipitation, nil. Moon phase, 30.8% waning crescent day length 12 hours 34 minutes sunset 18:30 sky casting 654